the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Fifteen reasons people are disillusioned with the American Evangelical Church. And later, what does the Veggie Tales have to say about the Old Testament? And what are the deadly sins of an unhealthy church? You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome back to The Common Good on Tuesday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I am joined once again by my special guest co-host, Catherine McNeil. Catherine, thanks for being in the studio with me again. I am so glad to be back. It is so fun to have you. I don't know where Brian Fromm went. He's gone today. He was gone yesterday. Skipping town. I don't know what that boy is Mm -hmm. doing, but I am glad you're here. Hopefully our listeners are familiar with you by now. Why don't I actually take a minute, in case our listeners don't know you, and interview you. Oh, okay. I'm putting you on the spot here because I didn't tell you I was going to do this. This is an in-the-moment thing. Who is Catherine McNeil? No, really. uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Catherine. Well, my name is Catherine McNeil. I am neighbors with Aubrey Sampson. We live in walking distance. A long walk, but a walk. But a walk, yep. Yep. Um, I am an author and a writer and an editor and a speaker, sometimes even on the radio (laughs) and, um, our kids go to school together. That's true. They're in carpool together. A lot of our lives intersects. Yeah. So it's very fun to have you here because I feel like yesterday, in fact, mostly what we did on the show was catch up on each other's personal lives because we haven't gotten to hang out in a while. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so it's so fun to have. You can check out uh, all of Catherine McNeil's stuff at Catherine McNeil. That is M-C-N-I-E-L. That's correct. You can find her at CatherineMcNeil.com and uh, at Catherine McNeil on social media. Is That's that right? correct. Yes, I'd love to see you. Catherine is not yet on this social media app, Be Real, because I was just telling her what it is. And listeners, you may not know what it is either. I'm not going to do a whole commercial for Be Real, but it's a new okay. social media app that okay. I'm trying out. I'll just say that. Yeah, I'm I'm flabbergasted. But like all social medias, now that the parents are on it, it's probably going to die. It's um, going to die a slow death here pretty soon. Are the parents on it, though, or are you just the cool parent? No, I think the parents are on it. Oh. And the, the parents and the teens these Stace are on it. Yeah. All right, Catherine, we're going to take a kind of a sharp turn here and talk about the health of the American Evangelical Church, which I would say I am deeply situated in. And I would say you are deeply situated in. Definitely situated. And um, I would say over the past several years, more and more people have grown disillusioned with the American Evangelical Church Church leaders. A guy named Brandon Cox is actually writing about that over at Church Leaders. But before we look at what he has to say, I just want us to unpack this from from our perspective. Okay. I have some thoughts why people are disillusioned. And I'm curious if they're going to come up here on this um, mm-hmm. On this uh, article, I think one is um, I think one is how we've aligned ourselves with certain politics. Yes. I think that kind of like marriage has gone too far for people. Mm-hmm. I think two has been our unwillingness to support, empower, equip, uh, put women in leadership positions. Mm. I do think the tide is changing there. Praise Jesus. But it's been a slow tide to change. I think another would be perhaps how we have n- avoided, not talked about issues uh, 
around racism. Um, and then th- those are the things that come to mind. Yeah. Oh, I guess one other would be, and we actually talked to uh, an author and a pastor yesterday. If you missed our show, we'd love to invite you to go catch up on our podcast, Aaron Diamani. Um, we've, the evangelical church has, is, I actually think, again, getting better at this, but has not done a great job of embracing like global liturgical mm-hmm. spiritual practices. And yeah. more and more people are longing for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think the evangelical church in America sort of intentionally cut itself off from a lot of historic mm-hmm. traditions That's true. and doctrines and global uh, global traditions That's and doctrines true. to kind of be like, here is our new thing that we have just now come up with and we're pretty sure this is yeah. better. Yeah. Um, which there's a, there's a degree to which that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I would affirm that. But I think we lost more baby with the bathwater than we realized. Than we even and maybe I think meant we're maybe to. suffering from lack of some of those ancient tried and true people shaping tools mm. and rhythms. We don't even know that we need them. We don't mm. even know that that's what's missing because we have no, we have no uh, category even for that. Yeah. And I think, I think also I can remember 25 years ago, back long time ago, arguing, yeah. you know, like it doesn't matter that some people are using the word evangelical to mean these hateful mm. things. What matters is that the word evangelical has a meaning and it means these good things. Mm. And I'm finding it harder I, I can remember having that conversation 25 it's years ago. It's lost its meaning. But it's, it's, it's much harder to argue that position now because I could tell you what strong biblical yeah. culture engagement values the word evangelical yeah. was created to convey. Yeah. But it really means very different things now. And yeah. I think we do have to sort of yeah. acknowledge that. Yeah, that, the, the scriptures talk about the euangelion people, like good news people that yes. are displaying and declaring the gospel. And and that meant a display in really profound, powerful ways. Right. But we have definitely, we've definitely lost both, I think, declaring in a meaningful way and displaying in a meaningful way. Yes, and even just how we create ourselves. Yeah. Like how we create, how we are forming mm. ourselves. One thing I've written a lot about is how um, surveys, even surveys of how we report ourselves, is that evangelicals are some of the most afraid people in the Mm. country and some of the most willing to consider neglecting or even maybe harming others because of how afraid we are. Wow. But of course, we are also the people who say that we should be reading the Bible and the Bible is quite clear that we are supposed to love not just those who love us, but we're supposed to even love our neighbors. Yeah. Even strangers, definitely our neighbors. Um, and that Jesus said really solidly that there's there's no room yeah. for fear inside of his perfect love. Yeah. And um, so I think there's a lot of ways where we're not only associating the word evangelical with things that are not a part of the original intent, but actually very much the opposite. Wow. Yep. I think that's accurate. Uh, One other thing, Catherine, that came to mind while you were talking, another reason I think people are disillusioned is celebrity culture. I'm curious if that's going to be on the list as we've seen, we've seen, and we've all been a part of it. Uh, This is what I appreciated about the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast is that, uh, uh, he talked about how we, we all were guilty in this, but kind of raising up certain, quote unquote, special elite, talented folk to the forefront of whatever church leadership, et cetera. And, um, 
And we've watched that crash and burn. We've mm-hmm. watched the devastation that that's caused. So mm-hmm. anyway, here's here's uh, let's see if any of this is on the list. Again, okay. we're at churchleaders.com. 15 reasons people are disillusioned with the American Evangelical Church. Brandon Cox wrote this article. One, he says we've oh, I didn't think about this, but I think this is right. We've rejected science unnecessarily. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. I had a conversation with one of my children just this weekend about wait, my Christian friends are saying this, but my, <laughs> my teachers are saying this. Yep. And I'm like, oh, okay, here we are. Yep. This is a good conversation to have it with is. your kids. We have it a lot. Yep. Uh, we've been superstitious. Ooh. He says we've been enamored with anything suspected of, suspected of being dark to the point of seeing tons of things as demonic in a superstitious way. The thing that comes to mind for, uh, with this for me is things in pop culture, like Brian and I have kind of joked about this, but I do think there was some superstition around Harry Potter books. Yes. There was superstition around the Smurfs. Oh my goodness. Where yes. we've kind of said that those things are demonic yes. or whatever. It's been that I got rid of my cabbage patch dolls because <laughs> Oh, that's so sad. It was very sad. Oh no. I threw them in the garbage. You but my parents hooked them out on the down low and hid them so uh, that I could have them back when I, I came to my senses. When you like woke up yeah. from your you know, I and I grew up in Georgia, uh, and we would sometimes go to the Cabbage Patch Kids Adoption oh, Agency, and oh. I saw them born from the cabbages. <gasps> so the fact that you threw them in the garbage gives me a little bit of trauma. Yeah, I'm so I, glad your parents I bet so. Saved yes. Them. Yeah. Uh, three, we've embraced Christian nationalism. Oh. Four, we've idolized the Bible on the pedestal of liter- literalism. Ooh, uh, we'd have to have a whole conversation yeah, about that like another a whole time. Segment. Uh, celebrity culture is on here mimicking corporate culture in the church we've devalued women and defended patriarchy we've ignored systemic poverty we've ignored systemic racism we've made secondary issues primary we've been inconsistent in our pro-life message yes we've embraced conspiracy theories uh this is wow we've let this one's so huge we've let spiritual and sexual abuse go unaccounted for We've singled out certain people groups and we've been self-appointed judges to the neglect of love. Wow. That's what you were just talking about. That list is pretty on point. Ooh, we could just talk about this list for the whole show. We, but we won't. <laughs> we won't. But you can uh, read it yourself over at Church Leaders. 15 reasons why people are disillusioned with the American evangelical church. Catherine, I don't know if you saw this last week. Somehow Brian and I missed covering this story. But um, Brother Andrew, who is a Dutch evangelical uh, that's actually not his name. I believe his name is Anne Vander. I cannot say his last name. Gilles. Oh, wow. Dutch name. But everyone knew him as Brother Andrew. He was known for smuggling Bibles into closed communist countries. He died at the age of 94. Wow. And, uh, you know, I Brian and I often like to pause and talk about these Christians who live long, faithful yes. lives. Because mm-hmm. so often we kind of forget to celebrate like this man ran the race and he ran it well. And that is worth honoring and remembering. So um, over at Christianity today, they're writing a few articles about him, but um, there's a man who an Indian man actually, who was mentored by brother Andrew. And this is so interesting. He said when he first met brother Andrew um, that he kind of had like a, like he was meeting a rock star. Yeah. Like he was yeah, so excited yeah. meeting him. I, I can't wait. Uh-huh. Um, he was like a super fan. He says to brother Andrew, I thought I would never meet you. And brother Andrew said immediately, you must change your thinking. Wow. And I think that encompasses from what I, from what I understand about brother Andrew's reputation. Um, 
that was kind of his deal that he was a guy really simple uh you know wearing t-shirts and shorts yeah. never show-offy not celebrity and yet risking his life to smuggle bibles into closed right. communist countries i mean this guy was a the real deal it yes. sounds like yes i read his book bible smuggler mm. decades ago yeah probably when i was a teenager i still have it wow but i haven't read it in so long but what strikes me about him i think maybe even the fact that we miss that he died i think we I miss that he was even still living. You know? Oh, wow. That he's not on like the the speaker circuit or mm. um, on Instagram. And he he's, could have been. He's the kind of guy who could right, have been. Yes, he, yeah. he's not trying to be an influencer. He's trying to be present with people who mm. are suffering. Wow. Present with Christ's presence. Wow. And that just strikes me as closer to the main thing. Yeah. Than than many of us will approach. This um, article at Christianity Today says that Brother Andrew's message was a life fully committed to Jesus and lived for him. He also, this is, I think is so important for such a time as this. He saw no enemies, yeah. just people who needed the love and touch of Christ. Beware of the enemy image, he once told us, because you can never preach the gospel to your enemy. That is wow. mutually exclusive. He is not your enemy. Christ died for him. How can he be your enemy? Brother Andrew often said that he was not anti anything, but was pro Jesus. Listen to this. He also had a remarkable acronym for Islam that I greatly appreciated. This is the author of the Christianity Today article writing this. He says, this acronym spoke of his heart, Islam. I I sincerely love all Muslims. Wow, wow, wow. That's radical. That is. In this day and age. But, you know, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Like, maybe he's one of the few Christians we've ever met. You know that... (laughs) I think you're right, Jesus was pretty clear that Mm. it's a narrow road and it involves sacrificial love for Mm. your enemies. Yeah. And uh, the article goes on to talk about how Osama bin Laden was on Brother Andrew's prayer list I mean, and he got a lot of pushback mm. with that because surely if there's ever an enemy that we're not going to want to pray for, this is who it would be. Wow. Um, but Brother Andrew's response was that it didn't need to be a popular opinion that one man with God is a majority. Mm. Um, and he said, there's no fighting Jesus and there is no fight for Jesus. Mm. There is fellowship. With Jesus. And since Jesus died for everyone, there are no enemies. Mm. Um, We are all worthy of love and grace and a place at the table. Mm. The article goes on to liken Brother Andrew to Mother Teresa. Yeah. Two people who, again, everyone has heard of them, but they have done nothing to try to exploit their celebrity or their influence. They have just continued to be present Mm. with suffering people with the love of Christ and Um, This Christianity Today article says that they both see the reflection of Christ in everyone. And that's what Mm. makes them so impactful. And isn't that what Jesus said would make us impactful? Yeah, this is this is real. I mean, this is really worth listener. If you have time to go on Christianity Today and and read these articles about Brother Andrew, um, they go on to say people in this world today are looking for what's real, what's genuine. They know an authentic life when they see one. I actually hear that phrase being used, especially by like millennial and Gen Z people. I want to know what's true, what's authentic, what's beautiful. 
Both Mother Teresa and Brother Andrew were the real deal because their convictions arose from love and were based on the lordship of Jesus yep. Christ. I mean, yep. I, I think this is these are some powerful examples for us. I love that quote you read. There is no fighting Jesus and there is no fight for Jesus, because I feel like I hear that whether or not it's said like that. I feel like I hear a lot of posturing. We're going to yes. fight for Jesus. Yes. We're going to fight for our Christian rights. We're yes. going to fight for our and. That's this not is a thing. This is saying that's not a thing. Yeah, I wrote a book about how that's not a thing yeah. actually, yeah. and I feel strongly about that that you can't you can't fight for something when mm. the thing you're fighting for is the ability to love your neighbor. Mm. Like you can only just love them. Unbelievable. So brother Andrew was born in the Netherlands in 1928, the son of a poor blacksmith and an invalid mother. He was 12 when the German military invaded the neutral country in World War II. He spent wow. the occupation Hiding in ditches to avoid being pressed into service by the Nazi soldiers. When famine hit in the Netherlands in 1944, like many Dutch people, he ate tulip bulbs to survive. Wow. Uh, He was haunted after seeing a young mother and a nursing boy killed um, in an Indonesian uh, in an Indonesian village. He started wearing a crazy straw hat into the jungle, hoping it would get him killed. He was shot in the ankle and listen to this. He started reading a Bible his mother had given him during convalescence. He returned to the Netherlands and started compulsively going to church in the early 1950s, surrendered himself to God and then committed his life to ministry. He studied in Scotland and eventually became known for smuggling Bibles into closed countries. Uh, What can we learn from a life like this, Catherine? Well, I was just looking at another part of this article that says um, the early church outloved the people around them. And that is what drew many to Christ. Mm. May we never lose focus of this. Mm, Makes me want to cry. And I would just love to have all of our listeners like gather in a room together and just ask ourselves like how could we regain out loving the people around us? That's good. Even if they're enemies, even if they're our greatest enemies, how could we draw what if we started putting our energy into drawing others to Christ because we are loving them so profoundly consistently and sacrificially and faithfully? Mm. How could we how could we do that. What steps could we begin with? I love that. I think I think that's a great way to leave to leave this conversation about Brother Andrew. How can we live like he did and out love one another, even our enemies? Which is how Jesus lived and taught us, told us yeah. we had to live. Yep. Such such a good word. Catherine, you and I are kind of sort of kind of sort of constantly. I don't know if that works or not. We are often Okay. In the world of discipleship, whether it's through writing our books or talking about church or whatever, we're we're kind of in this conversation, both in practicality and theoretically, yes. I would say. Yes. And um, Dan White Jr., who's part of a church planting movement that I follow online, he's asked a question. Or he actually he actually posed something about discipleship. It made me ask a question. And that was this. Uh, Do we need to rethink our discipleship models? Here's what Dan White Jr. said. Most seminaries don't disciple people. They inform people. Most Bible studies don't disciple people. They inform people. Most sermons don't disciple people. They inform people. Lots of information. Very little discipleship. That was the tweet. Yep. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I actually responded to this tweet. Oh, you did? Okay, I I didn't know that. Yeah, I said... um 
I think that most, though not all, but most American Christianity is based on the transfer of information rather than transformation. Yeah, it's mental ascent, not union with Christ. Not life change, yeah. not a practice. Yeah. Um, a new way of being in the world. Yeah. It's it's agreeing on like a true false yeah. doctrinal quiz. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's a very American a way of being in the world. Mm-hmm. That's how that's we value that. Not just I think in discipleship, yeah. but in many areas of yeah. our life. Um, but yeah, I think we do need to look at transformation, not just transfer of information. So the one thing, the one thing about this is I. Um, Okay, I didn't go to seminary, but I did go to grad school where I got my master's in uh, evangelism and leadership, and I'm doing some uh, post-grad work right now. I actually found, and this may speak to my personality more than anything, I found um, both was true there. Yeah. That I was being transformed while I was learning. And I have found even in Bible study that I am being transformed while I'm learning. And in sermons, I'm being transformed while I'm learning. So I wonder if there's a place for both. Well, I think there is. I don't think I wouldn't read him as saying um, we shouldn't inform. We should people. never inform people. I think he's saying that we are erring. So mm. that maybe like that, that's the only tool that we are using for the most part is discipleship through information. Yeah. When there is so many things like yesterday we were talking about how our bodies can participate yeah. in worship and yeah. in Christian practices. I am in seminary right now and I that's what caught my eye. I definitely feel like there are some professors that I have that are trying to primarily transfer their sermon or their lecture mm. notes into my brain or at least my Word document yeah. when I'm taking <laughs> notes. Um, but for the most part, I am meeting professors whose lives have been deeply impacted yeah. by a lifetime of wrestling with the gospel intellectually, but also in community. Totally. And are doing their best to take me on a similar transformation journey. Yeah. But that doesn't mean to say that he said most, you know, he did say most. And he actually responded to himself with a quote. Like, so he's getting ready for the people like me pushing back. He said, Dan, you must hate sermons, seminaries and studies. Then he says, no, I just believe they're not doing what we think they're doing. I think that's absolutely true. Again, not about everybody, right? But about most. Yeah. I think we really, um, I was actually once a part of a Christian organization that had us take a gospel test. And whoa, it, yes. I, and I obviously that's an extreme whoa. example, but yeah. it actually happened. Yeah. And I don't think we were going to lose our jobs if we answered incorrectly, but we had to like be able to articulate the gospel. Well, we had to choose from several different gospel statements, which one was the right one. And I, I think even though that's an extreme example, it is a real life example. I, I actually had to take the test and mm. I think it shows how much we have mm. taken this whole body transformation, a whole different way of being in the world, a whole different way of being as a group of people in the world and boiled it down to a few statements that we need to articulate well. And that's, just not what it is. Yeah. So, so what's the danger you think of not discipling in this more holistic way? Well, I think we are living yeah. out the danger right now. You know, like, uh, you know, this conversation is taking place on Twitter and 
we are so confident that what God wants is for us to articulate this one or two sentence statement well, that we will viscerate people who are saying something different. Yeah. And yeah. we are all about winning and we're all about proving that we're right and others are wrong. Yeah. And that just, that has absolutely nothing to do with it. You know, mm. the apostle Paul literally said, it doesn't matter if I have all knowledge, if I don't have love. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I, th- that's interesting to me, Catherine, that um, we're, <laughs> I think you're right. We are singing it. We are seeing it right now in real time. Um. Okay, so this is the question I'm asking just as like a church leader and someone who's invited to speak on discipleship. How do we do it differently? How do we do it better? And I think we've we've mentioned some things like part of it is sort of this uh, in relationship, in community practices. I think that's part of it. And then I was reading something recently that was saying most of our discipleship is just kind of helping people be brave. Yeah. And I did think about that as far as transformation. Like I do think so many people are walking with shame and guilt and feeling like they're missing out. So part, I don't think all of it, but part of our discipleship is helping people overcome that shame and recognize their like identity Mm -hmm. in Christ Mm -hmm. and help them to live bravely, fearing bravely. You wrote a book about that. I did. Um, but what do you like practically speaking day to day? What do you think discipleship looks like? That isn't just I'm passing on information to you. Well, I think it looks practical, practically. Speaking. Yeah. You know, my yeah. husband and I joke that I'm orthodoxy and he's orthopraxy <laughs> I love um, that. because like I might spend the entire day writing a book about the importance of loving your neighbor and loving strangers. And he'll come home late and he'll be like, I am so exhausted. Like we found a single mom living pregnant with mm. her toddler underneath a stairwell in an apartment building because her abusive husband kicked her out of the house Mm. and she didn't know where to go. And so I spent the entire day finding a safe place for her to be. And like, it's, he was actually doing the things that I was writing about. You know, I think we have to do both. We can't just say we believe in these doctrines. We have to be living these doctrines. Yeah. Not by ourselves because that's more than we can do. Right. But in a community. Right. We need to say, you know, my energy and my time is not just going to go to, you know, accumulating my own fulfillment, but to radically changing what our communities look like. Yeah. I, so one thing that Dan White Jr. says, people are asking him this. Okay, then tell us, like, what's discipleship supposed to look like? And he has this triangle. He says, discipleship looks like this in the neighborhood. Community. Uh, is on one side of the triangle. Communion is on the other side. Commission is on the other, but it's like a moving, like a dynamic yeah, triangle, right? Like so the, the arrows recycling. are going. Yes, that's it. Uh-huh. Like the recycling emblem. So community, commission, communion, community, commission, communion. And I, I definitely feel like he's on to something there. It is interesting though, that people I'm reading through this Twitter thread and people are kind of pushing back like i agree but i don't agree i agree but i don't agree it's so foreign to us to move outside of this information passing on as part of our discipleship and so i think there's a few people who are like i wholeheartedly agree but a lot of people like well yes and or no but um it's funny our our mutual uh publisher is named dave zimmerman who they publish bible studies as part of our publishing Uh house he says, by Bible studies, do you mean resources or group settings or something else? Dave says, I agree. I'm just wanting to keep up. 
Dan White Jr. responds, the settings and the structures. So it's not the materials. It's the way in which they're done and what we believe they're doing for us. This is I think this is really fascinating for the church to kind of get its get its hand around the concept of discipleship Mm -hmm. and um, figure out to do what we want, what we actually mean to do and want to do. How do we do that? Because being a Christian is. Being in the world in a different way. Yeah. In a Christ-like way. Yeah. With Christ. Right. And being formed by Christ as we do that together in community. And that involves some information, but it involves a lot more than that. Like life on life. Yeah. Really, really interesting conversation. All right, Catherine, I'm going to cheat a little bit here on the common good and have you help me with my homework. Oh, Cool. I love homework. And we're not really cheating for those of you who are panicking right now. This is I'm allowed to have a conversation (laughs) with a friend. And I I don't actually love homework. (laughs) Okay, so then it all it all evens out. All right. So um, I'm taking an Old Testament class right now at Wheaton College. And here is one uh, something we've been asked to do. Okay. We've been asked to watch a VeggieTales video, which I'm going to play for our listeners here in just a minute. Okay. And um. It's uh, about David just before he's preparing to fight Goliath. And those of you who are familiar with VeggieTales, you might know this. It's a song called Little Guys Can Do Big Things Too. Oh, yeah. I could just sing the song. Could you? you? I could. Let's oh, hear it. No, I'm not fine. Okay. Um, and then we're going to have a conversation about is this, and I'm pro VeggieTales. I love Phil oh, Fisher. Yeah. So this is not a knock on VeggieTales. But is this a good interpretation of this story in scripture. So let's go ahead and take a listen uh, to the VeggieTales song, and then Catherine and I are going to talk about it. You're not going to sing, are you? Couldn't you just play your harp and I'll throw things at you? Oh. You're big. I'm little. My head only comes to your middle. But I say little guys can do big things too. what you're saying? All right, I understand. Now, let's suppose that this is true. You still look rather wimpy, but I know what we can do. Just step behind this curtain. It will only take a minute. There's a closet in the corner, and you'll like what I've got in it. You'll find my royal armor there. Now, Danny, put it on. Yes, now you'll look much bigger when the battle lines are drawn. One more thing you'll need, I think. Pick up my royal sword. It's a big one and a beauty. The best we could afford. Once you've got it all together, I think you will agree. You're bound to do much better if you try to look like me. Oh, dear. You know, I think maybe I should just be plain old me. Oh, yes. Well, I I suppose. But have you seen Goliath? Why, he's he's just... He's... He's big. That's bigger. And I think I can just want to figure. With his help, little guys can do big things. With his help, I know I can do big things. With his help, little guys can do big things, too. Oh, dear. 
Okay, so we get the concept. Little guys can do big things, too. The story's from 1 Samuel 17, where David is preparing to fight the giant Goliath. Uh, Saul says you need to, you know, you're not ready. He's been fighting his whole life. You haven't been. David's basically like, hey, I've been tending sheep and fighting off bears and lions. I'm ready for this. Saul fits him in his own armor. David says, I don't like how this fits, takes it off. And as we all know, grabs the the five smooth stones and the slingshot slays Goliath with Goliath uh, with it. So VeggieTales interpretation of this story really is that it's a story about little things making a big difference. Little guys can do big things. Little guys can do big things, too. Is this a good interpretation of this story? Um, okay, so this is not my homework assignment, and I have not studied up for this. But I have taken several Old Testament classes yeah. myself. Yeah. I think yes and no. Mm-hmm. I would say yes in the fact that the power differential is the primary thing happening in this story. And in fact, power differential is a huge thing happening in the Bible in general. Yeah. Um. In this cultural time, you know, I get super nerdy. So just like start talking over me if I get too scholarly here. Okay. But in this time, sometimes instead of two armies just slaughtering each other infinitely, they would bring out their, their strongest, their best. And the two people would fight and then whoever lost, lost. And whoever won, won. And that's all. Like only one person dies. Yeah. Okay. A representative of the whole army. We see this in Greek mythology often as well. Yeah. So Goliath is the person, their strongest, their best, that they are having represent their champion. Yes. He's their champion. Yes. Okay. It's good. And so nobody is willing to stand up. Even the soldiers, no one from the entire army is willing to say, I will be the one. I will be the champion. Yeah. I will defend not only my fellow soldiers, but God. Yeah. Um, which is pretty shaming. Yeah. I think is the point. Right. That no one is no, no one, one is, is honorable enough to do it. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. not just even honorable, but even willing because back then so much of it really was considered your deity. Yeah. Like, right. Right. Um, so no one's faith no one, was no certain enough. Strong enough believing in God. Yeah. Um, in a way that I don't think we can understand now. Yeah. I told you I was gonna go on and on. So I think the fact that David is not even in the army. He's the youngest son. He's back at home doing domestic tasks. He's literally just yeah. delivering lunch. Yeah. Um, and he's like, wait, what? Like, mm. no one's going to stand up and mm. do this thing? Well, I'll do it. Yeah. Like, we can't just let this guy mock our nation, mock our God, our God. like right. this. Right. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand up and do it. Yeah. So, but I don't think the point... So I think it's good in this in the sense that the power differential is the point. Yes. What I think is wrong is that out of context, a song called "Little Guys Can Do Big Things Too" <laughs> kind of feels like an American self empowerment. Yeah, of a it's thing. sort of like the um, uh, uh, what's that movie? Is it Rudy? Where like the he's not a oh, great yeah, that is he's Rudy. like not a great football mm-hmm. player, and he comes and becomes a star right, football player. Right, it's sort of right. the, the little guy yeah, story. Yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. I think the point here is a very ancient kind of parable. I'm not saying it didn't actually happen. I'm just saying this is the kind of story that they would have chosen to say, our God is so superior that look. Even this guy who's just like running errands, he's not even good enough to be 
in the army. Right. And he's going to go up against Goliath. Right. No problem. And with no armor, with no strong weapon. Yeah. I think it's a message to shame all the people who didn't put their trust in God. Yeah. And it's a message to say, this is how strong our God is. So it's, yeah. Yes. And Uh yeah, it's like, it it, it doesn't go far enough. I actually think it's right for kids. Sure. You know, I think this is right for kids, but I think this is always a problem with our old Testament interpretation is that we make it about the, the biblical hero and what we can learn from them rather than the fact like, Ooh, this isn't actually even really about David. This is about God. And I, if we can reread and reinterpret the old Testament, realizing, Oh, this is a story about God, not about great heroes of the faith that does change the dynamic. And then we realize what you're saying is exactly right. Catherine, that this is actually a story about how powerful Yahweh is compared to any other deity that people were worshiping at the time or claiming at the time that he can even use the lowliest of, of shepherd, not a military man, the youngest brother, and and do incredible things on his behalf because of his covenant faithfulness yes. to them. Not because of anything David did. David right. wasn't special. Right. And this is the whole, I mean, this is the whole metaphor of the Old Testament, right? Like this is what God has done for Israel. Yes. We'll keep doing for Israel. And ultimately we see all of this kind of leading to Jesus who, again, born in a manger, um, uh, born into poverty oppression yeah like came from nothing and le- yet this is who who god as god deemed to save the entire world and so Sounds again like the gospel this is a story about this is a story about god so that's why i yes. think maybe they just it, like super cute yeah i'm so pro veggie tales yeah, love them and kids will remember this yeah. and this is great maybe not the full picture not the full picture. yeah not the full picture anyway kind of fun thank you just help me with my yeah. homework a on your assignment and i'm gonna go write something and get an okay. a that's right all right Catherine. I, I this is gonna sound like a dark topic of conversation but i want to take it positive I want to talk about the deadly sins of an unhealthy church. I was inspired by something I read at Church Leaders. Five deadly sins of an unhealthy church written by a guy named Ron Edmondson. But I actually want to talk about, I don't want to really focus on these unhealthy things. I want to talk about vibrant churches where we have seen this done well. Okay. If we have, hopefully we (laughs) hopefully have some examples. So here's uh, the first deadly sin of an unhealthy church. uh, According to Ron Edmondson, apathy. As soon as a church stops caring for the mission of the church more than its other activity, it has lost its way. The mission must come first. To be clear, he says, that's not programs, systems, or buildings. Um, Those are fine. We should care for them and use them. But this is about caring for the people around us and the caring about the broken and lostness of the community around us. So uh, losing, having apathy for those things, he's saying. Have you seen a church do this well, caring for the community around them? Well, I have to say, Aubrey, I think your church and my church. Mm. um, Actually, I would say that's why I'm at my church. Yeah. Because... Of the unique ways that they have said, oh, we're going to be in this community. Well, this community is going to feel it in a good way. Yeah. Like, we want this community to be like, oh, not, well, not to be like, oh, this church is here. But right. like, oh, we're so grateful that this church is here. Like, even if we don't believe what they believe, yeah. we don't want to practice what they're practicing. Yeah. Wow. Like. 
but just doing so much good here for our community and not, again, not in a paternalistic way, mm-hmm. but in a relational way, mm-hmm. like their neighbors. Yeah. I'm so and, glad you said that about renewal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And your church. I would affirm that, that that's true. Your church, Wheaton Bible Church. Yes. I think both of those churches mm-hmm. are uniquely good mm-hmm. at being present yeah. With the community yeah. with no strings attached. Right. Just, hey, we're here. You're here. Yep. We, we love you. We have resources. How can yep. we help you? We want to support you. We want to be here. Yep. I do think it was always is always a dream. And, you know, Kevin and I aren't the first people to say this. I'm sure we like read this from some other pastor somewhere. But you want to be a church that's um, for a neighborhood, not just situated in a neighborhood. Yes. And you want to be a church that if you left, the neighborhood would feel it yes. like, oh, man, I can't believe that church left. What a bummer. Yes. They were so for us. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I think that, that should be the goal. Yeah. I think that's the sign of a really healthy church. OK, the next one. Pride. Ooh. That is uh, one of the deadliest sins of churches. And, I, you know, I think um this one is a little hard because I feel like it takes a while to see the pride in church leadership. And this to me, I mean, I think it's one thing to be like, um, we love our church. We have pride in it. That's different than maybe like a prideful person le- yes. leading a yes. church. Yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm trying to think, I feel like I actually know a lot of pastors that are not full of pride. A lot of pastors that are like, they just love what they're doing. They're so grateful. I think actually Brian Fromm is a great example of this. Just God's called him. He loves his church. He loves serving, serving them. And there's not an ounce of like celebrity or, or self absorption in his leadership. You know, I took a child development course back in college and there was an image that really struck me. And it's that if a little three-year-old girl comes running at you saying, look at this picture that I drew, look at this picture, you don't think, wow, that's a prideful, like, (laughs) it actually takes a lot of humility to be just that Mm. joyfully excited about something that you made Mm. and wanting so openly to share it with somebody. Mm. Like, we like to be like, oh, don't call attention to that. That's pride. (laughs) Right. But it's actually really not. Wow. And so that has really formed my version of pride. Like I think a lot of times mm. um, having just the childlike humility to yeah. just be thrilled yeah. at what you're doing at how it's impacting others, yeah. at what others are doing and how you can join in. Yeah. Like, that's not pride. Right. That's, that's just being all in. I love you that. Know? I love so, that. Yeah. That's such a great picture. That's so good. Okay. Another uh, deadly sin of an unhealthy church disunity when the church is not unified it's most likely disunited around lesser issues of importance ron edmund says i once witnessed a heated argument over the purchase of toilet paper do you buy it when you need it or do you buy it in bulk that's an important (laughs) issue um when have you seen this done well um oh i wish i had a lot of examples just popping to my mind. Yeah. I can't say that I do. I think yeah. this is a hard one. Yeah, this is a hard one. I would say especially the past two and a half years now, however mm-hmm. long COVID time mm-hmm. officially is mm-hmm. or isn't. Yeah. This sort of disunity over things. I mean, some important things. I don't want to act like they're all toilet paper, but um, this has been surprising to me that um, churches have not been able to stay unified even while disagreeing. Cause I don't, there's no, there are places we want diversity. We want disagreement. Like 
disunity is not the same or unity is not the same as uniformity. Right. Yeah, right. But I've also been surprised that people who hold different points of view have not been able to do the Christian life together. That seems weird to me, the division and the tribalism that's happened. Yeah, especially over, you know, I hear the point that it's hard to create a safe place if half of the people think that the other half yeah, shouldn't exist. That's or, true. You know, like, that's true. So that's I true. think we need to, to be careful to protect the people with less power in those in those disagreements. Yeah. Rather than say unity is kind of the jerks being able to say whatever they want to say and it doesn't matter if you your feelings were hurt. Like, yeah. I, I think that that's another way we err. But um, I can't actually remember what I was going to say yeah, about that. Fine. But that's yeah, fine. it's it gets complicated yep. for sure. Yep. Okay, so disunity. All right, here's another one. Judgmental attitudes. I mean, I feel like we could talk about yeah, that one all day long. what we were just saying. Yep. Mm-hmm. Disobedience. Without faith, it's impossible to please God when a church fails to walk by faith. It's sinning against the original design God had for his people and for the church. This one, he says, I'm going to read this because I think this is interesting. He says on this one, I suspect that many times the churches have simply quit listening to the voice of God. When all the systems for doing church are in place and nothing new is being attempted, you can do church without God's intervention. It's easy to stop asking for God's help. Wow. That's that's interesting. Again, I don't know. I'm sure they're out there. I don't know a lot of churches, even churches with really great systems that aren't constantly like, Lord, we need you. I just, yeah. I just don't, that's not my, like the pastors I'm around, even like of big churches or small churches are constantly like, we can't do this thing unless God's leading us. Yeah. So when have you really seen a church lean into obedience? Yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a good question. I, I feel like I've been around uh, churches that are intentional about prayer, are intentional about listening. And so obedience, maybe like God has really called us to X, Y, Z partner with someone or, and so we will, Mm -hmm. but I'm trying to think of a time when I've seen a church really give into disobedience so that I could like compare it. Cause I feel like a lot of churches are, are as best as they know, obediently walking with God. You know, I'm just, an idea is just coming to mind right now that I think maybe fits both with the unity example I couldn't come up with. And yeah. Disobedience okay, let's one. hear it. I can't remember the exact church it was, but there was a church that we were affiliated with um, that was dying. It They they were about to close their doors. Okay. And of course they didn't want to. Of course. Yeah. Um, but then they realized that there was another um, ethnic group in town that was looking for a place. And they invited uh, this sort of American Anglo church invited this immigrant congregation to join them, not as like renting space, but joining them as siblings, brothers and sisters. And it was a huge step in a very kind of radical direction because they weren't just, again, just renting space. They were actually Mm. combining this old established church with a very, very different congregation and saying, we actually need each other. Like what if we let go of some of the things that we've held onto so tightly and said, instead we're going to take this huge leap of faith to be unified together. That's and awesome. They became a brand new thing. Wow. That's a great example. Yeah. I love that unity and obedience all at once and such a, like um, such a counter message to mm-hmm. what we think about culturally, but that's so beautiful. Catherine, um, you're a writer. I am. You're an editor. I'm also that. You're a speaker. That's true. I am. You're a mom. 
I'm that too. You're a neighbor? I am. You're a daughter? Well, I'm just going to keep saying well, things yes, about I'm you. A, I am a many things. You are You are many things as they used to. I feel like women used to say, I wear many hats. Oh, that's so true. That is so true. That's why I wear so tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Sharon Hottie Miller is a, a mutual friend. She is on Twitter talking specifically about her calling to preaching. Okay. But I like this. And the reason why I talked about all the many things you're doing is because I think this connects to many of our callings. Okay. And I want to unpack it. I want to have a conversation about it. Here's what she said. She said, one of the biggest distractions to my preaching is the thought so-and-so will want to hear you make this point or explain Mm. the gospel in this way. The more I can tune out those voices, the more focused my teaching becomes. Interesting. So replace teaching or preaching with one of the biggest distractions to my writing, calling, leadership, parenting, parenting is the thought. So-and-so will want to hear you make this point or explain this thing in this way. The more I can tune out those voices, the more focused my calling becomes. What are your thoughts about that? I think I have two main things that come to mind right away, which I guess I, it's not the first time I've said that on this show. But the first is, yeah, like we can become so inauthentic when we're mm. trying to meet some arbitrary standard rather than just do the thing well. Mm. But my other concern is that if we were to take that too far, we are losing you know, accountability. I, I, did, I did wonder, like, it's interesting you say that because... There is a thought to me, especially in preaching, that you do want to, this is why I like local church ministry, you want to know the people you're speaking to, yes. know what God is doing in their lives, know what they're wrestling with, what you're wrestling with, what as a community you're wrestling with. And so in one sense, there is a place, I think, where you you shouldn't tune out those voices, but should right. have those voices in your head for accountability. And so it's not all individual. Yeah, because... Rarely are we speaking to a theoretical audience. Right. Often we're needing to answer a particular a particular need. Yeah. A particular question. Yeah. Um Yeah. But the I guess the piece that I think is helpful is sometimes you can let other people's voices or the way you think they want you to say something, do something, think about something, you can let that maybe sway what you know you're supposed to say mm-hmm. or do or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like there has to be a place for both. The community accountability, the being situated kind of incarnationally in your calling, mm-hmm. but then also this like, but I'm not here necessarily just to be a yes man, yes person to you. Right. And maybe... And what's the lie? I mean, how do you kind of know, I wonder? Well, I think it maybe it has to do with if there's a person or two that gets stuck in our head, mm, you know, like yes. if I am teaching a room of 200 people, I'm going to need to not be so hung up about the opinion of that <laughs> one guy in the third row <laughs> that I'm that I'm trying to form my words into yes. a way that's not going to make him mad yeah to the detriment of the other 199 people in the room that is so true brian and i talk about on on the show the the we call him the arm crossed guy oh yeah like the guy in your church or at wherever you're speaking or maybe just it's in your head maybe it's not even a real person but it's someone in your head yeah who 
like they get all your power yep. and all your attention because all you're trying to do is like please the arm cross guy yes. the guy with his arms crossed kind of disapproving of you whatever right. you're saying and so you're forming whatever it is you're doing around yes. that person rather than th- yeah i think that's a really good if we can lose the right. lose the power take the power away from the arm that one guy, guy. yes because in yeah. fact that that kind of brings both of our previous two points together into one then we can actually be faithful to the message. We can mm. be faithful to what the community needs. We can be faithful to the the relationships that we know are yeah. in play and the felt needs. Yeah. And not just be distracted by folded arm guy. Yeah, by folded arm guy. Here's what somebody responded to Sharon Hottie Miller. The real challenge of being led by the spirit and not by constructive criticism of the few which challenges our ego. The real challenge of being led by the spirit and not by constructive criticism of, of the few, which challenges our ego. I do wonder how much of this is an ego thing. Hmm. Like it might even, it might masquerade as like a low self-esteem. Like, Oh, I just need to please like the certain people who I think hold power. But really I think it is about your ego and not surrendering to God. I'm just kind of thinking about this as I go. This is not a fully formed thought but this is so interesting somebody else responded to Sharon I thought this was really funny as a young preacher this was so tough when I knew my mom would be there I saw that too (laughs) I feel like as a writer sometimes that one I remember it might have been Ralph Waldo Emerson or I might have just totally made that up so I probably shouldn't have said that on air forgive me people but um, write as if your parents are dead (laughs) which is terrible it's a terrible thing to say yeah but I hear that Yes. how do you get the the parents out of your head yes so you can not write in a way to harm them not of that, course not but write in a way that like you say what you mean to say not what you think they want you or don't want you to say right well and i think the fact that this tweet is written by a woman i know that she is mm. um she's been pastoring for a long time yeah yeah but i do think that the knowing that the folded arm guy very well <laughs> may be about to make a scene mm-hmm. because the person giving the sermon is a woman, yeah. I think can really get stuck in our heads. Yeah, it, that can get stuck in their heads. In fact, there was a guy, the first time I, I preached, um, uh, there was a guy who stood up and walked out. I remember that. And that guy sometimes looms in my mind. Yeah. You know, thankfully yep. he doesn't have as much power as he used to, but like the guy who stood up, I, re- I also remember one time speaking at a, a youth ministry retreat. So I mean like, youngsters oh my and a 17 year old guy stood up and walked out because he could not learn from a woman and i wanted to be like what? son come on like you can learn from me you simply because i'm your yes. elder <laughs> <laughs> nothing else wow but yeah wow. so that makes sense the fact that this tweet is coming from a woman perhaps there's some there's some a different extra, layer of subtext yeah, some here. trauma there yeah for sure all right well very interesting the biggest distraction to speaking, writing, or calling might be the voices or the opinions of the people around us. All right. Well, I will be back tomorrow with uh, Brian from But Catherine, once again, we have loved having you with us. It's been so good to be there. So glad to have you. Brian and I will be back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Catherine McNeil, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.